So this is what Luke 10, verses 25 through 37 sound like if you read them out of the Bible, at page 54 of the New Testament section. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was still going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. We celebrate the written word of scripture. We celebrate the living word of Christ among us. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is familiar even to people who know little else about the Bible. The children's video told the story well. An expert in the law approaches Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer is saying, show me the path to the life of God. Jesus knows the man is a lawyer, so he asks what's written in the law. The man gives Jesus an A-plus answer, quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus congratulates him on giving the correct answer. Do this and live, he says, but the man isn't satisfied. He wants specifics. Who is my neighbor, he asks, which, when you think about it, is the same thing as asking, who is not my neighbor? He wants to know where he has to draw the line. I mean, there have to be lines, right? Jesus couldn't possibly mean love everybody. Jesus answers with a familiar story. It's an incredibly timely, poignantly story that is poignantly echoed in a recent New York Times op-ed by Nicholas Kristof. Christoph tells the story of Teresa Todd. The path to her arrest, writes Christoph, 
began when three desperate Central American migrants waved frantically at her car on a Texas highway one night in February. At least one car had hurtled by, afraid to stop. But for Todd, compassion overrode any fear. I'm a mom, she explained. She has two sons, ages 15 and 17, herself. She said, and I see a young man who looked the same age and size as my younger son. And if my son was by the side of the road, I would want someone to help. Todd, a single mom who works as a lawyer for a city and county in West Texas, found three siblings, two brothers, age 20 and 22, and their sister, Esmeralda, who was 18. To escape violence, they fled their native El Salvador years ago, and more recently, Guatemala, where friends of theirs were murdered and a gang leader wanted to make Esmeralda his girlfriend. Esmeralda was suffering from starvation, dehydration, and a potentially fatal syndrome with a long, unpronounceable name that can lead to kidney failure. Seeing that Esmeralda was very sick, Todd invited the migrants into her car to warm up, and she began frantically texting friends, including one who was a lawyer for the Border Patrol, for advice about getting Esmeralda medical attention. A sheriff's deputy pulled up behind Todd's car, lights flashing, and a Border Patrol officer arrived shortly afterward. The officers detained Todd for three hours, confiscating her possessions and keeping her in a holding cell. By stopping to help a stranger, Todd may have saved a life, but this also got her arrested. It was totally surreal, Todd recalled, especially for doing what my parents taught me was right and what I learned in church was right, which was helping people. So finding myself in a holding cell for that, it was hard to wrap my head around. Esmeralda was hospitalized for four days, and she and her siblings are now in ICE custody. Todd has not been charged with a crime so far, but the authorities seem to have been considering a federal indictment. Christoph reached out to federal and local officials for comment. They did not respond. Todd told Christoph that she had no regrets. I think it's the right thing to help those in need, she explained. That's what I learned from my parents. That's what I learned in church. The arrest of a mom who may have saved a life reflects the increasingly harsh treatment under the current administration of anyone who tries to help migrants. In Arizona, a man named Scott Warren is part of an aid group, No More Deaths, No Mas Muertes. It's a group that leaves water, blankets, and food for migrants. Last month, Warren was tried on felony charges that could carry up a term of up to 20 years in prison. That's quite a penalty for trying to save the lives of fellow human beings. After a mistrial because the jurors couldn't decide whether what he did was a crime, Federal prosecutors haven't dropped the charges, and there are others who've been prosecuted for similar misdemeanor offenses. Todd says this is all about trying to chill the willingness of people to help others. She says, a friend told me, 
The other day, someone tried to flag me down by the side of the road and waved an empty water bottle, and I thought about what happened to you, and I didn't stop. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of bandits? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Christoph, the newspaper man, thanked Todd for her humanity and for helping to save a life. Todd said her assistance had been instinctive. I'm simply a mom who saw a child in need and pulled over to try to help. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the bandits? Note that Jesus doesn't answer the question that the lawyer asked him. Jesus doesn't say, your neighbor is the faceless, nameless guy in the ditch. He turns the question on its head, basically saying, you want to know precisely how the law defines the word neighbor? Never mind that. Are you a neighbor? If you're already being a neighbor, then the question, just who is my neighbor, is irrelevant. Teresa Todd was being a neighbor. Go, said Jesus, and do likewise. Not only is this timely, it's challenging and profound, and there's a surprise lesson hidden in the parable that we might miss. Our hint is when the lawyer answers Jesus' question, which of these is the neighbor? The lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even get his lips to form the words, the Samaritan. Samaria was the next province over from Judea. The Samaritans were ethnically related to the Judeans, and they practiced a similar but not identical religion. By the time Jesus told this parable, they hated each other's guts. And yet Jesus chooses the Samaritan as the hero. The third man could have been anybody, and the point could have been anybody can be your neighbor, and we'd call it the parable of the good person. But this is a story intended to upset our categories of good and bad. It's intended as a sharp rebuke to the lawyer's question, just exactly who is my neighbor, to the implication that there must be limits to loving our neighbors. If we too easily identify with the Good Samaritan in this parable, maybe we're missing the point. Maybe the whole point of the Samaritan is that he is not us. Think about it this way. Who is the last person on earth you'd ever want to think of as a good guy? Whom do you have the hardest time imagining God working through? Think of a you're chuckling. Yeah. Think of a group of people who scares or angers you. That's what the Samaritan represents. If that group or a person makes you feel uncomfortable, then you know you're on the right track. The Samaritan teaches us several important lessons. First, God comes where we least expect God to be, because God comes for all and to all. Second, loving, loving your neighbor, looks like helping those in need. 
And third, the Samaritan, the one who acted as a neighbor, crossed a boundary. The hatred between the Samaritans and Judeans went both ways, and yet this Samaritan stepped outside his national and ethnic loyalty. He did not say, you aren't my people, I save my compassion for my own people. He crossed a boundary that was a hard and fast line to Jesus' listeners. When Jesus says, go and do likewise, that boundary crossing is part of what he's telling us to do. We are to have a higher, broader, and deeper loyalty, a loyalty to the well-being of all God's beloved children, not just to the ones who look and speak and act like us. The Samaritan stands for that higher, deeper loyalty. Teresa Todd told Nicholas Kristoff, the whole time I was by the side of the road, I was thinking, what country am I in? This is not the United States, except increasingly it is. I can't tell you this morning how to solve the crisis at our southern border. The experts agree that the thousands, hundreds of thousands of migrants from Central America are fleeing a life of unrelenting terror and violence. That's why they're willing to risk arrest, family separation, and even death. The experts agree that our border crisis will not be solved until the, that problem of that violence is solved. The experts agree that the United States really can't absorb unlimited migration over our southern border, and the experts agree that the numbers are too great, too unimaginably great, to deal with in a way that's effective and humane, given the resources our government is willing to devote to it, which explains, but doesn't justify, the conditions in which human beings, God's children, our neighbors, are being held at the border. Squalor and overcrowding, lack of adequate bedding and showers, the spread of parasites and disease, children still being separated from their parents. And it explains, but doesn't justify, terrorizing families and whole communities with the threats of ice raids this weekend. It all makes me feel pretty helpless, but I have this thought. What about the bandits? We never talk about the bandits. Societies where there is oppression produce bandits. Societies that seek to bring dignity to all are less likely to produce bandits. When we think about extending mercy, when we think about being the good neighbors that Jesus calls us to be, we need not to get stuck in thinking only about individuals caring for other individuals. That is hugely important, and Teresa Todd's story shows us that. But sometimes the mercy we are called to show is the kind that goes upstream, that transforms a system from one that mops up after bandits to one that affirms that God cares for how people end up as vi victims of violence in the first place. This I know. Our faith tells us that people crossing the border are our neighbors. And more importantly, we are to act as neighbors to them. 
We are to go and do likewise, and that might mean we contact our elected representatives, we demonstrate, we protest, we lobby, we bring lawsuits, we engage in diplomacy, cross borders and boundaries, all this and more. Whatever it takes to show mercy to our neighbors, go and do likewise. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Please rise and allow the Lord's Spirit to join in.